what I'm going to do, I'm just going to read a few verses and I'm going to invite us to sit down. And uh, today, I, I want to be speaking about the topic about legacy. The power of a godly dad. The power of a godly dad. I'm already emotional. What the world? I was down there crying. We sing that song, We Need a Miracle. And man, that was just a testimony of God's goodness in my life. It doesn't got me in a, in a fit. So uh, I, might, I might just break out in tears every now and then. Uh, y'all just bear with me. Hey, let's just pray right now. Because I'm going to need the Lord's strength. Let's just go ahead and pray right now. So let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you for this morning. And we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the testimony in our life of your goodness to us. And Lord, in the times where it seemed impossible, Lord, you showed up. Lord, there is nothing too big or too small for you. Lord, I pray right now for this message. Lord, that you would empower me. Lord, that you would indwell me. Lord, that you would take control. Uh, Lord, help me stay out the way. And Lord, I pray that you become center stage, the most important thing here today. And God, we just want to honor you, serve you, and Lord, live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. I also want to make a, a real quick announcement. I, I know fair of you, you're going to kind of miss out and not be able to, to see this, but we have uh, some special people with us this morning. We have Walker, Wendy, and DJ over there. And... Uh, if y'all have been following their story at all, you know there's a miracle in our midst already. And so we're thankful to have them. I will just say, because I know we are, we are a loving family and we just want to embrace and to love all over our people. I'm just going to encourage, love them from a distance. All right. Uh, it's okay to see them and talk to them, but just st keep your distance. Um, uh, and, and they'll appreciate that as well. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Verse 6-7, through seven. it says, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Thou shalt, walk, or thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. These are instructions that Moses is giving to the people of Israel as uh, they're going to be coming into the promised land. And uh, there's, there's a word there that says to teach these to our children. And these are mainly instructions to the men, the fathers. Uh, it says to teach these, instruct these to your children. I don't know about you, but I, I, think, um, I think if you look at today's culture, you see that the culture is trying its hardest to devalue uh, uh, masculinity. They're trying to feminize men, trying to feminize young men. They're trying to take away the idea that being masculine is, is good. And they're trying to downplay the role of the father in the home. I mean, you can watch any sitcom. Watch any sitcom where there's a husband and wife. The husband is always the doofus. The husband is always the idiot. He don't have a clue what's going on. He's just walking around the house like just totally just air between the ears, right? And it just makes it seem like the man has no, spe uh, no special purpose within the home. And, and I understand that there's different variations of what masculinity looks like. All right, not everybody's Rambo, all right? I understand that. There's not going to be a whole lot of men that go into the woods and kill a deer with their bare hands, okay? You're not... Uh, masculinity varies. There's some men who are very much masculine, but they don't go fishing and hunting and change their oil. That's completely fine. That's not what defines masculinity. And whether or not uh, you agree with me, I just want to let you know that your role, a strong male presence in the home matters. It is significant. And I, I want to sh start off by, sh by showing some statistics. 
And, and these statistics may be shocking to you, but I, I just want to show you some of these statistics. 63% of youth suicides are from a fatherless home. 90% of all runaways are from a fatherless home. 85% of children with behavioral disorders are from a fatherless home. 71% of high school dropouts are from a fatherless home. 75% of all adolescent chemical abuse patients in some kind of rehab facility come from a fatherless home. 85% of all youth in prison are from a fatherless home. Now, you see, you see this, and it may be shocking, but I'm willing to bet it's not surprising. Like the, the men's influence, the man's influence, the father's influence matters. And a father's influence is way more important than society would ever have you to believe. They try to devalue the man, try to, de, uh, 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 to, to effeminate, uh, effeminize the man. They, they think the man is, if you have any kind of masculine characteristics, they call it toxic masculinity. As if it's a bad thing to want to protect and provide for your home. And, and I, I just want to say that the man's, uh, your, your role in the house is so valuable. Now, mamas. Your role is equally as important. Mamas, you have an equal important role as well. And it's, it's not that one role is more important than the other. It's not that one matters more than the other. What matters is that God created you equally with different roles and complementary. You two together really show and, and reflect the image of God in a way that you can't really do by yourself. And so together, as you work as husband and wife, father and mother, you really reflect the nature and image of God in your home. So it's not that one is more more important as the other. Uh, the mother's role will always primarily be more of the comforting, nurturing, intimate one, right? Yes. If, 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 if little, little, I almost said little Debbie, and I was like, that's not a good name to use. <laughs> <laughs> you see where my mind is right now. I need a snack cake. If, uh, <laughs> if, let's go little Johnny. If little Johnny falls down and scrapes his knee, who does he r usually run to? He goes to mama, because what does dad usually say? Ah, you're okay. Ah, you're good. Walk it off. Carter busted his nose one time in a, in a coach pitch game. I mean, he took a bad hop right to the face, and he gets bad nosebleeds anyways. I'm talking about gushers. And uh, he sure enough took a bad hop, just boom, and his nose just exploded. And uh, we shoved, I go over there, I shove tissues up his nose. I'm like, go out there. And, like, you, sh you should have seen the mamas in the stands, like, getting ready to call, like, child services. Like, come pick this man up. And, and that's just how daddies are. The woman is usually the nurturing one. But I, I want to give you some more statistics. It's a, st a statistical fact that where, where a father is indifferent or absent or just has no care, what will happen in the early years the children usually run to mom, but as they get older, they start looking to dad. And dad becomes their role model. And if dad is indifferent, if dad has no interest, if, if dad is absent or inadequate in certain areas, it will begin to reflect in the lives of those children that they don't care about that as, as much either. And so statistically, if a father does not go to church and a mama does, so mama goes to church, but daddy doesn't go. Only 15% of those children will ever become long-term church attenders. 
So if, if mama goes to church, daddy does it, only 15% of children will ever become long-term church attenders. Now, let me just pause right here. Because I know in here, we probably have some single mamas. And, and you might hear some of these statistics. And you're single, your heart breaks as a mama. Because you're like, really, is, is, does that mean my child is doomed? Does that mean that my child is going to be one of these statistics? And I want to say, not at all. I believe God can do exceptional things through people who honor him and live for him and follow him with all of their heart. I don't want you to be discouraged, mama. You keep doing what you're doing. You keep believing in God. You keep being Jesus in your home. I believe God will honor that. Let me give you some scripture to back that up in case you think I'm just making stuff up. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, Paul is writing to probably one of his favorite disciples. And this is what he tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, 5. He says, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and in thy mother Eunice, I am persuaded that it is in thee also. What is Paul saying? He's saying, Timothy, this great faith you have in you began in your mama. And that began in your grandmama. And it was passed down to you. Now, here's, here's where Timothy's dad was in the equation. Let's go look at Acts chapter 16, verse 1. In Acts chapter 16, verse 1, it says... Then came he to Derb and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, which is Timothy, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess and believed, but his father was a Greek. In other words, Timothy had an uninvolved, unbelieving father. His faith and the foundation of his faith came from his believing mama. And so if you're a single mama in here, if you're the only believing person in the family, mama, can I just encourage you, keep doing what you're doing. Don't let these statistics startle you. You're doing good. But I think you would agree with me that it would be a whole lot easier if there was a godly presence of a father in their life. Let me give you some more statistics. So we know that if, if dad doesn't go to church but mama does, only 15% of children will continually go to church. Now, if daddy goes to church and mama doesn't, mama stays home, but daddy goes to church, that statistic, that, that number jumps to 66%. 66% of children will continue to go to church, be long-term church attenders, even if mama doesn't go. Now, if mom and dad go together, it jumps even higher to 75%. Can I just tell you, we need a generation of godly men who will step up and, be, and take their role as a godly figure in the home because it matters. Your influence matters, dads. And I'm just going to give you some two real quick things about some parenting advice. Listen, I'm not a guru, okay? I'm not Dr. Phil, all right? Do not come to me and think that I got it all figured out. I fail daily. But I just want to give you some just couple things of wisdom here for, for parenting. Uh, one of the things I would say is just have a relationship with your children. Some people think, well, if I love my children, I'll have influence in their life. Listen, I know lots of people who love their children and have zero influence in their life. And so the equation looks like this. Time plus, uh, time plus love equals relationship. Or time plus love equals influence. And so you cannot have an influential relationship with your children unless you are spending time with your children. And, and I know some of you in this room, you've got kids that have grown and gone. They've got kids of their own. You're still a parent. You're still mama. You're still daddy. And, and the, the way the, the, a lot of times the fathers make a mistake thinking that usually that when the kids are little, that's more of the domain of the mama. You know, mama takes care of them when they're little. 
And dads usually get more involved after they get a little bit older. And, and usually it's when sometimes the kids can begin to show interest of the same hobbies or the, the same kind of interests as they have. Or maybe they can start talking and engaging in conversations that dad enjoys having. But I just want to say this and write this down. Listen, as a parent, it is not the children's responsibility, responsibility to enter into your world. As a parent, it is your responsibility to enter into their world. And so dads, play tea party. Play Barbie. Love them littles. Make an impact when they're young. Mom, Dad, don't let your cell phone steal you away from the little bit of time you have with them. There is nothing more important on social media than what is right in front of you in your own home. And so just be cautious about, about that. But it all, just be aware of that. Another thing I would say, uh, other than having a relationship with your kids, is, is this, that parenting must be done in humility. I, I mess up. I know that's hard to believe. <laughs> I mess up sometimes. And what we need to do as parents is re- recognize that we have a responsibility that when we mess up, we need to acknowledge it. We need to own, if you break a promise, own it. Apologize for that. Let them know you're aware of that because if you act like it didn't happen, if you just ignore it, it will impact them. And listen, as a preacher, as a pastor, my kids watch me preach. My daughter's in here right now. I see you, Addie Grace. She's in here right now. She watches me. And she also watches how I live. And she will see when those two things don't always line up. And what I have to do as a dad is acknowledge that, that here's where I failed. Here's where I messed up. I'll give you a perfect example. One day we were driving. I think we was coming back from Panama City and we stopped at a drive through and it's been a long trip. I mean, it's a long week in general. We were driving home. We go through fast food and uh, we get our drinks and I hand Carter's drink to him. And it's, you know how they overfill it and they put the lid on it. So now there's liquid sitting on the top. And it's like that. And I'm telling Carter, I give Carter the drink. I say, Carter, just sip some off the top. And it's like he's just like forgot how to speak English. I don't know. He's just looking at it. And I said, Carter, sip some of that off the top. It's going to spill everywhere. And he's just holding it. By this time, we're on the interstate driving. I'm like, Carter. And now Tracy's getting it. Carter, just sip some off the top. And he's just, ah. like he just, does, he just froze. He doesn't know what to do. And I feel because of the time and just being tired and I feel the rage coming. And so in a fit of rage, I turn around, I roll the window down. We're going like 60 something miles an hour on the interstate at this point. I grab his drink, take the lid off and fling some of it out the window. And I put the cup, the top back on and hand it back to him. What I didn't think about was we're going 60 something miles an hour down the window uh, with the window down. And all of that liquid just came in the back seat. And so now Addie and Carter... (laughs) are just drenched with Sprite <laughs> and everybody's quiet <laughs> and we're just driving <laughs> and man the Holy Spirit whooped me in that, that driver's seat he says way to go dad like you really showed them didn't you and you know what I had to do we get like a mile and a half down the road and I just I said guys I'm sorry I should not have done that I lost my temper I I'm frustrated. I shouldn't have done that. I took that on on you. That's that's my fault. I'm so sorry. As a dad, I had to own it. 
I had to go humble. I had to really just say, I'm sorry, I apologize, I messed up. And then a few weeks later, I had a teachable moment with that moment because Carter was doing something where he was not owning responsibility. He was blaming everybody else for something he did. And so I said, Carter, remember that time I threw your drink out the window? He's like, yeah, it traumatized me. And I said, well, (laughs) I said, remember how I owned that? I said, I was angry at you, but I really, I made the mistake of doing that. And I shouldn't have done that. I said, but I had to own that. I said, Carter, here's what I want you to do. If you're wrong, just own it. But how difficult would it have been for him to own something he did wrong if I never took responsibility for the things I did wrong? And so just some practical advice here. All right, I know we hadn't really gotten to the Bible yet. You're probably like, dude, where's the Bible? I'm just, we're starting off and we're we're about to get into Scripture. So if you have your handout, uh, point number one. Point number one, a godly father leaves a legacy. What you and I do today leaves a legacy for future generations. You are shaping at this moment a family legacy. And you get to determine that direction, Dad. And you may come from dads. There might be some dads in here that come from a background that you you didn't go to church. You were not raised in church. You may be the first one in your family starting a godly heritage. Man, what a huge opportunity for you. To start a godly legacy for your family right now. That's huge. And, and so what Moses is doing in Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 22, Moses reminds that we don't have to turn there, but in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 22, Moses was reminding the people of Israel. They, he's saying, do you know you were the only nation in the world? In fact, the only nation in history who's ever heard the audible voice of God? Two million people heard the audible voice of God. That would be extraordinary, wouldn't it? You know what Israel's response to that was? That was terrifying. Like, that scared us so. We thought we were going to die, Moses. They, that's what they said. They, we thought we were going to die when we heard the voice of God. And so they said, we nominate you to be the guy that goes to God for us because we never want that to happen again. So you be the guy to go talk to God, and then you come to us and tell us what he said. And so God hears them. And in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 29... This is what God says to that response. He says, oh, that there was such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always that it might be well with them and with their children forever. Do you see this? If we honor and obey God, there is a generational effect that it will be with your children. It doesn't just affect my kids. It can affect my grandkids. It can affect my great-grandkids. And in just a few months after this point, Joshua is going to assume leadership of Israel. And and God tells Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, this is what he says to Joshua. He says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, for thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. God says, if you read my word, meditate, meditate on it, and obey it, then you will be prosperous and have success. Listen, fathers, the most important legacy, the most valuable legacy you can leave your children are not stocks and bonds and a family business and a huge bank account. The most important legacy you can leave them is a legacy of knowing and living for God. Because it will make their way prosperous. It will make everything they do a success. If they know and obey God. So Moses, after being told and being nominated as the official spokesman to God, 
He goes and speaks with God. Now, this is what Moses is told. This is what God tells Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. He says, Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that you might do them in the land wherewith you go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Do you see what God is doing? God cares about legacy. He knows that our life is but a vapor. It's like this. And so he cares about those coming up after you. He cares about your little girl and your little boy. And he cares about their little girl and their little boy. He desires for us to pass our faith on to our children that in hopes that they would pass it on to their children and in their, they would pass it on to their children. He cares about the future legacy. Now look in verse 3. He says, Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers has promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. So your obedience to God or your lack of obedience to God will really influence and determine your children, your grandchildren, even your great-grandchildren's life. And whether or not you know it, right now you are creating a legacy for them. It's either a legacy of blessing or it's a legacy of hardship. But what you do today is really impacting the future generations that are underneath you. And so you need to understand that there is an opportunity for you to create a legacy of godliness in your life. Let me give you an example. Yale University did a study on two completely different men. One was Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards was a great Puritan preacher, the forerunner of the Great Awakening, preached a dynamic message called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. He married a Christian woman. They loved the Lord. The other man they studied was a man named Max Jukes. Max Jukes was an atheist. He married an atheist. Uh, he, was, he started an organization called the Freedom Movement that, that really advocated for free sex, no laws, no formal education, and no responsibilities. He was basically an anarchist. And they both had 13 children. They lived around the same time frame. And this is what they found about the descendants of each one of these men. Okay, so for Jonathan Edwards, he was the godly man. This is what they found. Out of 929 descendants, 430 were preachers and missionaries. 314 were war veterans. 75 authors. 30 judges. 100 lawyers. 60 physicians. 295 college graduates. 86 college professors, 13 university presidents, 7 congressmen, 3 governors, and 1 vice president of the United States. That's a pretty impressive legacy, isn't it? Now let's, let's look at Max Jukes. Max Jukes had 1,226 descendants. 310 of those were paupers, just poor people. 110 were criminals, 7 murderers, 100 drunk, drunkards, 190 prostitutes, 509 alcoholics and drug addicts, his people cost the state $1.3 million. Quite a different legacy. Fathers, what you do matters. In my hands up here today is my great-grandfather Deer's Bible. This was gifted to me by my great-uncle a couple Christmases, a few Christmases ago. Inside he left a note, and this is what he wrote. 
He says, for the past several Christmases, I've given items from our family history that I hope are meaningful to various members of the family. This year, I'd like to give you my father's Bible. It's just as he left it, including inserts from church services at First Baptist Church of Anniston. Brista F. Deer is your great-grandfather, and he was a special man. You probably know that he owned grocery stores as his profession, and he used his grocery store as a means to help many people. No one, no one in need of groceries was ever turned away. And one of my special memories is helping him deliver groceries at Christmas time to needy families. He would tell the employees to grab a buggy and put in everything he had. He'd walk through the store, taking food off the shelves until the buggies were full. Then the groceries were packed up and all of us delivered them to various homes. He was a godly man who loved his church and was there whenever the doors were open. His special love was for young people, and he and my mother were always youth leaders and involved with the ministry of the church. He used to store trucks to have youth hay rides, take them to various events, and they loved it. I can remember many a watermelon cutting in our backyard with the youth from the church. How proud he would be to know that you have chosen to be a youth pastor for your life work. So I think it's very appropriate that you receive this Bible, and I hope you will find it meaningful to own it. This great faith was in my great-granddaddy, who was passed down to my great-uncle and my grandmother. On my hand is my granddaddy's ring. This is his seminary ring where he went to college, Bible college. And me and my granddaddy actually went to the same Bible college. And he was a pastor for most of his adult life. Matter of fact, when he died, he was pastoring Concord Baptist Church there in Fairview. So right before you get to Temple Fairview, out there at Temple Fairview, right before you get to your church, on the right is Concord Baptist Church. That was the last church my granddaddy pastored before he passed. And this great faith that was in my granddaddy was in his daddy before him. And so the great-grandparents pass it down to my grandparents. My grandparents put, now my uncle is a believing man, comes here at Temple. My daddy as a believing man, went to New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, graduated with a master's degree, served in all kinds of ministries and, and churches, and, and he was so influential in my life. And, and, and that great faith that was in him that came from his mama and daddy and his grandparents, it now passed down to me at the age of 17. I surrendered my life to the Lord and began to preach almost right away. For over 20 years, I've been serving in ministry. My wife, a married a godly woman, her family are God-fearing people who serve in the church every Every one of her siblings is on staff somewhere at a church. And that great faith that is now in me and Tracy has been passed down. And now we have my kids. And both little Addie and little Carter have surrendered their life to Jesus. I had a picture of them being baptized. And, and that was, there's my two. Man, how good God has been. What I want to let you know is that legacy matters. Legacy matters. Number two, a godly father leads with integrity. A godly father leads with integrity. Look in Ephesians chapter 5. We're kind of skipping all the way up to the New Testament, but for a purpose here. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. It says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husband and everything. So fathers, here's how you lead with integrity with your home. You've got to start with your wife. 
you got to start with your wife. And let me just talk about this idea of submission because this can really, you, this, this can really rub the cat the wrong way. When you start talking about submission and wives submit, you're like, oh, I don't know about that. Uh, let me just give you a, an idea of what this means. Because the truth is a, a woman's value does not increase or decrease based on her submitting. All right, that is not what this is talking about. Our value comes intrinsically from who God made us to be. Right? He made you in his image. You are an image bearer. That your value does not come from other people. Your children have no less value because they submit to you as their parent. Right? And so this idea of submission, yes, it can be difficult to understand, but husband and wives, you have equal roles or, or, or equal missions, but different roles within the house. You're created equally, you have the, the same kind of mission, but you have different roles to accomplish that mission. So let me just speak real quickly about what submission is not. This is what submission is not. The husband is not the ultimate authority over his wife. God is the ultimate authority over his wife. And so this for, reason, for this reason alone, if your husband asks you to sin, you don't got to do it. He's not your ultimate authority. God's your ultimate authority. If your husband commits a crime, call the police. All right? 911. <laughs> If your husband has committed a sin and he's un unrepentant about that sin, you have every responsibility. Call him out on that and get some, maybe call the pastor. Let some church people know. Invite him to go to counseling with you. Listen, he is not the ultimate authority. His, his authority is secondary because he doesn't have his own authority. His authority comes from God. And so God is the ultimate authority here. So, man, that means you can't just throw your weight around like you're the big shot. The second thing a, uh, a submission is not is, it doesn't mean that the husband is more important. Uh, as the husband, it doesn't make you automatically more valuable, more smart. It doesn't make you more gifted, more intelligent, more competent than your wife. Uh, therefore, the husband is not always right. And I think husbands, we can agree with this too. Like, we know we're not always right. Uh, your wife is free to have her own independent thoughts. She's free to do that because God created man and woman in equal and sense of bearing his image. And so we also carry equal spiritual worth as we partner together. The man's primary responsibility is to, is to love his wife and lead her in a God-glorifying direction. And the third thing submission is not is the husband is not to dominate. Domination is the opposite of leadership. All right, you, you don't put your thumb on your wife and tell her, well, I'm the man of the house. I, I do, you, you do. I say you do. No, no, that's not what the, the Bible commands, though. The husband to love his wife as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? In a patient, caring, kind devotion. He humbly loved her and demonstrated that love uh, towards her daily. And so as the husband, we love our wife and we guide her. And so if we go back to Ephesians chapter 5, again, verse 25 to 28, he goes on to say, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he may sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. In other words, men, are you loving your wife as Christ loved the church? I read this, and for the first time, it really convicted me, because I've read it a lot. And I started asking myself, well, how did Christ love the church? Well, he died for the church. 
And so I was like, it was a no-brainer for me. I would die for my wife. I'm sure there are many men in this room who would say, I would, if it was her life or mine, I would give mine for hers. Like, I would lay down my life for my wife. I love her that much. But then I started thinking more about that. What did Christ ultimately do for the church? He not just gave his life, he gave his all for the church. He gave everything for the church. And I asked myself that question again. Am I giving my all to my wife? And I got so convicted because I realized I fall short. I fall short. I was crushed because the reality was I was so willing to die for her, but you only die once. You live every day. And as much as I would love to die for my wife, I wasn't living for her every day. I wasn't pursuing her and praying for her and cherishing her and honoring her and lifting her up and shepherding her and and helping God, just washing her in the word of God every day. And in that capacity, I realized I was failing as a husband. Man, we have to lead with integrity in in our homes, in our houses, but it has to start with our wife. Are you praying for her? Are you falling before a holy God and begging God to bless your wife every day? And this is the picture of biblical leadership in the context and the confines of your home. You have to be somebody worth following if she's going to be willing to submit. And it's not so much submission as it is as you shepherding her. My headship with my wife is my desire for her to be built up in the body of Christ. Because in Genesis it says that the two have become one. So in other words, Tracy is not just mine, she's me. She's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Does this mean that my, well, let's just keep on going. All right, so doing, leading with integrity in your home. And let me say this, I want to love my wife in such a way that it just, it just, it's a perfect picture of the gospel within the home in such a way like th- that, that my hope is that one day when my kids get to heaven and they step in the pearly gates and they took a, take a big look around, I want them to say, man, this place looks a lot like mom and dad's house. I want my home to be such a picture of God's love that when they get to heaven, it's just like coming to mom and dad's house. Just love your wife. And the way you lead with integrity is with your children. With your children. Ephesians 6, 4 says, And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. When it comes to man's leadership in the home, it covers the entire household. We usually stop where it says, Wives, submit yourselves to your husband. We like to stop there. But yeah, a man, hear me roar. Yeah, I'm the head. But also, if you keep on reading, it says, men, you are supposed to be the head of the one who disciples your children. You're supposed to be taking the greatest role in the discipleship of your children. And I think sometimes we fall short with this. And so what the great irony is, is that we'll pound our chest and say, yes, I'm the head of the marriage. And then we have a disagreement. And and like, I get the last uh, word because I am the man of the house. But let me ask you, are you the main one in the relationship discipling your children, praying with your children, reading the scriptures to your children, 
For getting your, church, your children up for church in the mornings? Are you the main one who's excited about God? Or do you dictate that, uh, leave that and dictate it to your wife to do? Yeah. Well, I'm not good at teaching. She's better at it than I am. It doesn't excuse you from your role to be the one who brings your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Well, the, the Bible says the wife's supposed to submit. <laughs> yeah? And you're supposed to disciple. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Does that mean that your wife has no role? Absolutely not. Your wife does have a role. She has a role in every other aspect of your life together. But the idea here is that I am to exercise headship when it comes to the discipleship of my children. And in many homes, we have lost that reality. That's why even here at Temple, the majority of our volunteers are women. That's why here at Temple, most of the times if there's a single family that comes, if a parent stays at home, most of the time it's going to be the woman who comes and the dad stays home. That's why on a large scale, when children graduate high school, they leave the church because it was not important to their fathers. Fathers, we have to step up and disciple our children and lead them and guide them and shepherd them. And for those thinking about going into ministry, there might be few in here that might be thinking about going into ministry. Can I just give you a word of caution here? There's a saying that goes around, if you take care of God's business, he'll take care of yours. That sounds good, but I can tell you, I know evangelists who spend three, four, six months on the road, touring all over the world, preaching to all these people, yet neglecting their own family. I know pastors who will devote their lives to dealing with the trouble of other people's households while neglecting the trouble in their own household. And so much so that they created this term called PKs, which means preacher kids. And basically that stands for those untrained, undiscipled, wild kids that belong to the pastor. And so it's sin, plain and simple. My first calling, my first obligation is to be Tracy's husband and, and Addie and Carter's daddy and to disciple them and lead them and shepherd them. We love the Great Commission to go into the world and proclaim the gospel and teach all those things which Christ has taught you. And we love that, but how dare I go out there and teach the gospel if I don't do it in my own home? How dare I try to disciple your children if I'm not discipling my own children? And my headship and, and my home... Is to, do, is to do that through shepherding them, leading them, being the male authority in the home that takes ownership of the helm of God and just say, follow me because we're going to the cross. So we need to do it with integrity with our family. How different is this than I'm man, you submit? How different is it than I speak, you do? No, I shepherd you. Follow me to Jesus. Number three, godly fathers live with spiritual intentionality. Spiritual intentionality. Verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 4, And you fathers provoke not your children into wrath, but bring them up in the desire, uh, up, 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 up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. What is my desire for my children? Is it that Carter and Addie would make me proud? That Carter would play professional baseball one day for the Atlanta Braves. That would be awesome, but is that my main desire? Is my main desire that Addie become a successful businesswoman, an entrepreneur, make millions of dollars? Absolutely not. My main desire for my children is that they would love the Lord and follow them for the rest of their life. That is the number one desire that leads all other desires. 
This desire has to be forefront. I want Christ to be glorified as they come to faith in Him. Listen, the sin curse that your children have came from Adam. But before it came to them, it was in you first. And so you pass it on to your children. Now it is your responsibility to do whatever you can to get that curse out of them. Man, preach the gospel to them. Tell them Jesus loves them daily. This is how you stewardship your home well, you love your wife like Christ loved the church and you pave the way to the cross for your children. And what God is looking for and what the church and the home is in desperate need of is biblical headship. A man who understands his role. A man who will not apologize or back down from his role. A man who is terrified because of the enormous weight of the responsibility of being the, the head shepherd in the home. We need men like that. This is the picture. And you might be thinking, well, how do we do that? Letter A, we do it with conviction. Conviction. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6, it says, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thy heart. So we have a responsibility as a parent, specifically as a dad, we have a responsibility to, to teach our children the Word of God. And if you want your kids to be blessed, your kids need to know the Word of God. They need to live the Word of God. They need to be able to walk through life using the Word of God as their filter. And you might be saying, well, Pastor Andrew, that's easy for you. You went to Bible college. You're in the ministry. This stuff comes natural. Certainly, I have a leg up. But it does not excuse the average church guy from doing this in their home. You have a responsibility. You have to have a conviction about this. If you do not have a conviction about it, you will never do it. The very first thing you and I must do if we're going to teach the Word of God to our children is that we have to get the Word of God in us first. He says in verse 6, he says, It shall be in thine heart. Put the Word of God in your heart so that you can be able to teach and instruct your children. Be convinced about its importance. If you have the commands of God in your heart, then it will become a conviction that you live out and teach to your children. I thank God that here at Temple we have an amazing program for our littles from little bitty old babies on up to toddlers, and they're not back there babysitting, they're discipling your kids. I thank God for a good children's program for our kindergartners on up to fifth and sixth grade because they're up there learning the Bible. They'll go through the entire Bible in two years. That's awesome. I thank God for a good teen program with our, our students and our college students. I thank God that they're hearing messages that apply to their life, but I'm telling you right now, even as great as our programs here at Temple are, we cannot out-teach here what you teach at home. And the church's responsibility is not to be the sole place, the only place where your children are taught the Word of God. The church's responsibility is to be a support to what they're already being taught at home. We must disciple our children with conviction, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We do this consistently. Verse 7, chapter 6, verse 7 of Deuteronomy says, And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. In other words, you do it all the time. You talk about it. You reinforce it. You live it in front of them. You do it consistency. C, you do it conversationally. Continue on in verse 7. It says, And thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. You talk about it all the time. This doesn't mean you just preach at them. Is that little Johnny comes home? Hey, Dad, how are you? And you're like, Revelation 21 8 says the unbelieving, abominable murderers, whoremongers, and liars are all having their place in a lake of fire. And you're like, okay, Dad. <laughs> Good pep talk. 
You know? No, that's not what we're doing. What we're doing is every day we should be able to try to steer a conversation into a spiritual purpose. When, at our home, when we discipline our children, we always use Scripture to justify why they need to be disciplined. If they lied, if they were mean, if they uh, didn't obey, whatever it was, we use Scripture before we discipline. And you might be thinking, well, isn't that just going to like, give them PTSD? Like, aren't they going to associate the Bible with discipline and judgment? I'm like, not really, because 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is given by, God of, uh, given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness. In other words, the Word of God is what we use to dictate what needs to be disciplined and what doesn't. And so they're going to associate the Bible as a way to live rightly. And in chapter 6, verse 20 of Deuteronomy, it says, And when thy son asketh thee in a time to come, saying, What mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments with the Lord our God hath commanded you? In other words, you know what this means? There might be a time as you're teaching the word of God to your children, they might come up with a question. And it's going to be a doozy. It's going to be one you've never heard before. It's going to blow your mind. And you know what they're going to respect more than you just stuttering and stammering trying to come up with an answer? You, you, you know, uh, you, see, see, son, uh, uh, God, uh, you know what they're going to respect more? You saying, you know, that's a good question. I would like to know the answer to that one, too. Why don't we study together and find it together? Yeah. Now you get to study the Word of God together, and you've got to make yourself present in their life to be able to have these kind of conversations. That goes back to one of the first things I talked about. You need to have a relationship with your kids. Enter into their world. I have a little video. Uh, when, when Addie was younger, we used to go on what we called Daddy-Addie dates. Oh, uh, no, isn't that sweet? And we'd go, and we'd do whatever she wanted to do. Go putt-putt, go get ice cream. Man, I was her prince. She was my princess. She would put on these ball gowns, and we would dance in the living room. And it was just the sweetest little thing. Now she's a teenager, and I'm just a gross man that lives in the same house as her. We don't go on dates no more. She says it's weird to date her dad. I'm like, whatever. You're still my little girl. But look at, look at this little video. How cute is this? This little video of her. Why are we doing this? Because you and me having a date. <laughs> How many of you know when your kids get older, it gets harder and harder to have conversations? You start asking them questions when they're teenagers. How was school today? And you just return with grunts and moans. How was school? Uh. Did you have a good day? Mm. You're like, okay. So what do I have to do? Well, I have to enter into her world. So I'm going to be very vulnerable here for a second. Y'all better not laugh at me. I swear if you laugh. Get it out your system. I I feel it coming. So... I've asked Addie to go on these little dates with me. She's like, no, that's weird. That's gross. Ugh. And I said, well, how about, how about I take you to get your nails done? You want to get your nails done? She's like, okay. So I took her to get a manicure. While she's getting a manicure, I got a pedicure. <laughs> Told you not to laugh at me. I, t- I warned you. But here's what happened. While we're sitting there in these chairs, Addie is talking my ear off. She's telling me about her friends, her school, all the things, the good, the bad, the ugly, the indifferent. I mean, telling me everything, bringing up all the drama about who likes who and who's dating who and all this kind of stuff. And let me tell you, I would get a thousand more pedicures 
for conversations like that. You have to be present to win. Get in their world. Have conversations that matter. And then do it conspicuously. I'm, I'm running out of time, and I'm sorry, but we're going to roll with it. Letter D, conspicuous. That means make it noticeable. Make it noticeable. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 8 through 9. It says, And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy head, and thou shalt be as frontlets. He's talking about the commandments of God. So bind them for a sign upon thy head, thou shalt be as frontlets between the eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and thy gates. The Jewish people today, the Orthodox Jews do this literally today. They have boxes that contain small scrolls of the commandments of God, and they'll, they'll wrap them all around their arms, and they'll have them on their, their wrists, and they'll have a little box with the commandments of God on scrolls, and they'll have it on their forehead, and they'll tie it up on their head, and they have little scrolls and these little vials that they put on the doorposts of their homes. They literally do this, but I think the way that God is really meaning that for us today, He's saying put it in your mind so it controls what you think. Put it in your hand so it controls what you do. Put it in your home so it governs how you live. He says, make the word of God present in your life. Dads, can I encourage you that your kids need to see you read the word of God? And I admit I fail at this because I do a lot of my quiet time in my office. But I do have a Bible on my nightstand I'll read, and I'll bring it to the kitchen table sometimes and read it there. And there have been times where my son has walked in my bedroom and seen me laying on the bed with my Bible open reading, and Carter will run to his room upstairs, grab his Bible, and come downstairs and get on the bed next to me and open his Bible next to mine. And we'll sit there and read the Bible together. What was the, what was the catalyst of him getting his Bible? Him seeing his daddy with his Bible. Let them know that the hand of God can be on their life because they saw the hand of God on your life. Make it noticeable. Dads, I thank you for what you do. And I know there's some daddies in here, man, you're crushing it. You're doing so good. Leading your home well. Praying for your wife, loving your wife, loving your children to Jesus. Man, you're crushing it. You're doing great. Keep on doing it. Keep on doing it. But I also know there's probably some daddies in here who, after hearing this, might be thinking, you know what, there's some blind spots in my life that I've been ignoring. And I really need to do better in certain areas. Out there at Fairview might be the same way. And so what I'm going to challenge you to do in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And then after I pray, Fairview, you will be dismissed. But I'm going to challenge you in just a moment to do one of the manliest things you could ever do. You know what that is? To take initiative to pray for your family.